I think it's the book of Romans that says that uh, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And uh, certainly the things that we read about in the Old Testament scriptures are evidences of God trying to teach us important principles and precepts uh, that uh, are extremely important to our spiritual walk and our, and our spiritual lives. Uh, the life of uh, King Saul is really a, um, a life of lessons. They're not always the best of lessons, but lessons nonetheless important. And uh, so we want to look at, at, the, at one of these this morning and over the next couple of weeks, analyze uh, some of the things that we, we learn and can glean from, uh, from the life of, of King Saul. By the time we get to 1 Samuel in the, in the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel has settled into the Promised Land. Um, they have gone through the, their series of ups and downs, those cycles that we see recorded in the book of Judges. They would go through a period where they lived in obedience to God, and then they would live a, a spirit of, in a spirit of rebellion, and God would send a judge to help get them corrected, and they would learn to live in the blessings of God, and then they would live in rebellion. And, and God, through the cycles of the book of Judges, we, we find that there are the ups and downs of the nation of Israel, uh, the downs because they chose not to obey the Word of God, the downs because they chose not to, uh, to listen to what God had to say, and the ups uh, because they, they were, uh, uh, their hearts were open to, to correction. Their hearts were open to God's chastisement uh, and to God's, God's ju- uh, discipline. And so the judges came to help them through these downward spirals and to get back on the right track. Uh, sad to say, only for, an- for them to, another one to come and ha- have to do it all over again. And throughout the book of Judges, you can read about those things. After the judges came, came Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of God, and God used him in a mighty way. Um, and, uh, and while he did a commendable job, 1 Samuel chapter number 8, uh, you're in chapter, chapter uh, number uh, 15, but in 1 Samuel chapter number 8, uh, it tells us that Samuel had two boys. One was named Joel and the other was called Abijah. Uh, and the Bible says in verse, there was a, it was, it was, you know what nepotism is, right? Nepotism is putting close people that you love in positions of responsibility. And uh, Samuel uh, just elevated uh, uh, Abijah and Joel to, uh, to the position of judge. And, uh, and the Bible says about them in verse 3 of chapter 8 that the sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. So they weren't the best of examples. And what this did is this really brought the people to a place where the people finally looked at, at Samuel and says, you know, Samuel, you need to understand something. You're getting to be an old man. And the last thing we want is those two sons of yours taking over for you. You've done a good job. But, man, we don't want those two sons of yours taking over. They do not represent in any way, shape, or form, the kind of, of leadership that we need as a nation. And so um, uh, the Bible says in chapter 8, verse 5, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like other nations. And the Bible says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all the, the, that uh, they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And so God, God brought this nation to a, to a position, a place, uh, where, uh, where uh, they wanted to have, they wanted to be like every other nation. I, I think, you know, if you could look back in retrospect, uh, the one thing is God created this nation to be anything but like every other nation. And uh, God was in complete control. Did they need a king? No, they had God. Did they need judges? No, they had God. But nonetheless, uh, they wanted to be like every other nation, and, um, and so in chapter 9, Saul was chosen to be king. He was certainly a, 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 a unique individual. The Bible says uh, in verse 1 of chapter 9 that there was a man of, ben, of Benjamin whose name was 
Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zoror, the son of Becherath, the son of Eph. That's the chapter I should have had you read, Bob. No. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Um, it appears that he had just won the Mr. Israel contest. I mean, he, he stood head and shoulders, literally, above everybody else in, in the nation. He was fair to look upon, and, uh, and he was an individual that, uh, that had been selected, had been chosen to be, to be the king. His father had been a military leader, but believe it or not, Saul was not even, uh, even though remarkably handsome and overly tall, when you go all the way to chapter 10 and verse number 22, uh, the Bible tells us that he was an extremely shy and, and almost uh, humbled individual Verse, chapter 10, verse 22 says, Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if a man should yet come hither. And the Lord, and that's not, yeah, there it is. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stock. Now what that's saying is that when they came to, to, uh, to elevate him to the place of king, they couldn't find him. And uh, they had invited all these people in, all the, all the, the guests to come in, you know, uh, uh, high mucky mucks and everybody else for this special day. And, and he was hiding among all their luggage. He was, he was I mean, he was a, a humble guy. And at least at, at the outset. Um, and uh, he had made some big mistakes, no doubt, as, as after he became king, like uh, making a rash vow and even an, an unlawful sacrifice. But his, but his first major mistake um, is seen here in chapter number 15. Let's say that it's where he went down, quote unquote, for the first time. He went down. It's like a, like a boxing match, you know, and, and uh you can, you can go down and you can get bounced back up and you can go down and you bounce back up. But when you go down and you keep on going down, you know that, that it's before long that the match is going to be over. And here's the first illustration of, of Saul going down the first time. So take your Bibles and, and look at chapter 15. We want to look at it as, as, a, um, as a, a three-act, like a three-act account or a three-act play because there are really three different evidences. Uh, and, and act number one here in this passage, beginning with chapter 15, is... You can mark this down in your mind. Saul disobeys. Saul disobeys. All right. And it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, uh, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Then saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that when Amalek, what Amalek, which Amalek did to Israel, how they laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that, that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and women infant and suckling ox and sheep and camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in the Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Now, we, we, we've read about Amalek in, in other portions of God's word. Uh, Amalek was the, uh, was the grandson of Esau. Uh, they became the worst thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. Uh, to this nation, Saul gives, uh, is given a command by God to go and destroy them. Now, the fact uh, the expectations seem pretty clear in verse number three. If we could, if we could analyze, it, we could say it was this way: I want you to go, I want you to smite, and I want you to destroy. Not hard to understand. Go and smite and destroy. And at the outset, uh, it appears that Saul got the message and was and was ready to obey what what God had fully commanded. In fact, when you come to um, to verse number six, uh, the Bible says that he he said unto the Kenites, "Go depart." I get you down from among the, the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. But ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel uh, when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed uh, from, from among the, the Amalekites. 
And so uh, it seems like Saul was trying to put all of his ducks in a row and do the things that were necessary uh, in order for him to, uh, to accomplish what God had expected him to do. But in light of the go and smite and destroy command, uh, verses 7, 8, and 9 say something entirely different. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto the coming of Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag of the Amalekites alive, the king of the Amalekites alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. And so uh, Saul, uh, Saul was, was, uh, um, was commanded to go and smite and destroy, and yet the Bible says that Saul chose to, to, uh, uh, to pervert the command that God had given. Uh, and what he did, he's really he profaned uh, the righteousness, the righteous judgment of God upon the, the Amalekites. And so Saul took what he deemed valuable, even bringing Agag. Now, just to, can I editorialize for a second? I really think what happened with Saul is he wanted, like all nations did, he wanted to parade Agag through the streets. Uh, because of, of pride. Look, look what we did to the Amalekites. And here's their king, their king who's so powerful. Here's their king. We're just parading him through the streets. And uh, certainly that was not in, in accordance with what, with what God's word has to say. Um, so step number one is that uh, uh, step, the, the aspect, act number one, was, was Saul disobeyed. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. I mean, just keep reminding that, repeating that in your mind. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily, doing it exactly. And here was Saul, Saul given the responsibility to go and, and confront Amalek, destroy everything that was there. And God was very clear. He said, I want you to slay the men, the women, the infants, the suckling ox, the sheep, the camel, and the ass. I mean, everything was to be included. Now, we would look at that and would say, well, that seems awfully, I mean, why would you take the kids? I can't sit and dispute with you this morning. The reasoning of God, I just know God's reasoning is always perfect. And God gave them a command, and they were to fulfill that command exactly as God had prescribed it. Go, smite, and destroy. That's what God intended. Certainly, that's what he, not, he did not do. Well, beginning with, with verse, verse 10 and following, we see the second act, the second uh, section of this, this uh, scenario, and this is Saul being confronted. Uh, you can almost sense the frustration that's in Samuel after God shares it with him. The word of the Lord in verse 10 came to Samuel saying, It repenteth me that I have set up king, Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments and it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. I mean, Samuel, Samuel was so upset about this that he just kind of got on his knees before God and he prayed all night long. I mean, he, he wanted to know how to handle this. I mean, even though Samuel had two kids that, that did not please the Lord, Samuel was all about God honoring his nation and God blessing, blessing the people. And, and no matter how hard he tried, he looked and saw he was the king the people wanted. This king was not going to accomplish and he knew, needed to know exactly how he was to confront um, this, uh, this king about it. And there was a deep sense of urgency that he, should not, uh, that he should not let this go for another day. So he prayed all night long, the Bible says. And then he, uh, then he approaches Samuel. And uh, it says, when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place. Get that? He set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be the, uh, thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Um, now, 
Would you be willing to help me this morning? And Pastor Sean, would you be willing to help me this morning a little bit? I would like all of you this morning to practice being sheep. Could we do that? All right, that's what I want you to do. I want you all at the count of three to go, bah. Would you do that? One, two, three, bah. All right, now, so now you just think about that. And then in the second, Pastor Sean, I want you to say, as it says in verse number 14, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? All right? You can do that, right? All right. So here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Uh, what meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Hmm. I mean, listen, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. There was more than enough evidence. Uh, that he had done nothing of the sort. And it was all around him, the evidence that he had not fulfilled God's God's command. And so uh, the Bible says that Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. You've got to get every word. The Lord thy God. um, And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay or stop. And I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but thou didst fly upon the spoil. Now, the word fly upon is like an eagle swooping down. He says, you, you went in there and, and, and you, you, you knew your, your objective, but then all of a sudden you just swooped down upon the goods that were there. And your pride got so built up in you, in, in you that, that swelled up that you took Agag and you marched him through the streets. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't follow God's, God's plan, God's plan at all. Um, and then it says... Uh, um, and that thou didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, um, four times he says, I have. Four times he illustrates the fact that he's done. I've gone the way of the, I have obeyed, I've gone the way of the Lord that he sent me. I brought the king, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And, of course, in verse 21, he, he falls back and he blames the people again. We're getting kind of, getting the, kind of the, the cover-up. We're going to get to that in a second. But the truth is that, that he was, uh, when, once his sin was uncovered, what should he have done? He should have said, you know, Samuel, I made a terrible mistake. And he should have fallen on his knees and asked, and asked for forgiveness from God. But instead, he looked and he recognized, thought that he had been overly involved in doing the things that, 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 that God wanted him to do. So he's confronted. You know, I think this is a critical part of the text. Who among us that's in this room this morning could, could say that we've never failed the Lord in any way? Who among us this morning could stand here and, and, say, and, and say that, that, uh, um, that uh, uh, we've never made a mistake? And in fact, how do we respond when our sin's been uncovered? How, how is it that we respond? And of course, the, the great question demands from each of us, I think, an appropriate, an appropriate answer. Um, for Saul, the jig is up. I mean, there's no question that he's been caught. And, of course, now in, in Act number 3, uh, where, where he tries to recover or cover it up, beginning with verse 
with verse number, number 20 and the, the, the I haves. He's simply trying to pass the buck and, and pass the blame. Uh, verse, uh, verse 21 says, The people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, uh, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in, in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord a great, as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from, from being king. So Samuel speaks to him in, in, in really, really strong terms. And he says, is God more fired up that uh, you've sacrificed or is God more fired up that you obey him? We could put it this way. Is God more fired up that I'm in church on Sunday or that my heart is exactly where God wants it to be? Now, I've got a feeling that if my heart's exactly where, it's, where it should be, then I'm going to be where I should be. Amen? But the truth is that God, sitting in church doesn't, doesn't denote or, or that you are exactly where God wants you to be. In fact, let me be so bold as to say this. I am, I am quite confident, knowing human nature, that in a room of this size with this many people in it, there are probably a, a number of individuals who are in church because it's the thing to do who struggle with heart issues. Because that's our human nature. Just like Saul struggled with, a, with an issue of his heart. And of course, uh, the, the concept of, in verse 23 is, is, is a, a poignant concept. Um, suppose, uh, and I, I want to suggest to you that I don't think there's anyone in this room that really believes verse 23 fully. I remember years ago uh, in a Christian school chapel, I, I went through all the Bible about every passage about witchcraft. And I said, what, and I mean, every passage, uh, we went through all the way to the book of Revelation where, where it talked about the, uh, uh, the word is pharmakia, where they talked about the, the drugs and everything else. And, and we brought into the whole realm of, of concept of, of, of uh, um, the occult and witchcraft. And I asked all the students there, I said, tell me, as a Christian, what do you think about witchcraft? And they were all, I mean, everybody stood up and I said, oh, witchcraft. You know, everybody agreed with it. But, you know, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of. Now, there are, there are perhaps de- sin is sin, amen? But there are degrees, I mean, there are de- differences in the degrees of sin. God holds disobedience and rebellion exactly the same place as he holds witchcraft. So, as an illustration, suppose I came to your house and I suggested that we go down in your basement and we set up a little place for some idol worship. Perhaps we even formulate some sort of an idol that we could set in the middle of that, put in a circle and put some chairs around it. We could, you know, go whatever is necessary, you know, to this little idol. Maybe even take some knives or some stones and cut ourselves and shed some blood uh, as, we, as we worship that idol. How would you feel about that? This is good. This is no good. How would you feel about that? Down. Okay. All right. That's, that's true. But the truth is that, that general disobedience does not, does not incur the, the same kind of response. Um, let me try to illustrate if I, if I can to you. Now, I'm not, I'm not a mean person, but listen, God says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. The Bible says rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of reproof should drive it far from him. We live in a day and age where we don't practice that. And I'm going to guess we don't practice that maybe because it's not politically correct, but I think we also don't practice that because we don't look at childhood disobedience as being anything but childhood disobedience. But childhood disobedience becomes adolescent disobedience. And adolescent disobedience becomes adult disobedience. 
And every one of those things is a level that's not been treated in light of the truth of God's word. So when I said at the beginning that, that, that most of us in this room don't believe what verse 23 says, it's because we don't treat disobedience on the same level as witchcraft. Would you agree with that? But we, but we should. Because God's word says it's exactly the same. And Saul didn't understand that. I mean, if, if, if Saul had been confronted about idol worship, I'm sure he would have swooped down, to quote his, the, the expression, you know, and, and t- taken care of it. But here, here it is. He says rebellion is the sin of, sin of witchcraft. And he just, uh, he just kind of, kind of flops, flops about it. You know, he just, he just doesn't understand that. Now, he feigns repentance in verse number 24. He says, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. For I have, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin. Well, it really isn't Samuel who's placed to pardon his sin. He, he once again was just, he was feigning repentance. I want you to see that I have a, I really, really have a good heart in all of this. And the Bible says in verse 26 that Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return to thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Samuel didn't buy any of this foolishness, and he turns and he starts to walk away. I've said what God wanted me to say. I've made you aware of what's going to take place. Now, and, and there's nothing more that I, there's nothing more I can say. Your heart hasn't changed. You blame the people. You haven't done what God wanted, and he started to walk away. And the Bible says that Samuel turned to, excuse me, in verse, uh, 27, Samuel turned to go away, and he, saw laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. Well, I should have brought a piece of cloth. She could hear it. I mean, we had buzz. We could have. But, but it became an illustration again. Look at the next verse. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from, this, from, from thee this day, and hath given it to thy neighbor, a neighbor of thine, that is, what's the next word? Better. Better. He said, uh, you've, torn, you've torn, you know, my garment, but God's take, torn the kingdom away from you. And God has given it to somebody who's your neighbor, who is his better, better than you. Um, let's look at the, the rest of the, this, this next few verses, because I think they're important. Uh, the Bible says, and also the strength of Israel, also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders and my people. This boggles me. Um, I'm King Saul. I recognize that I've, I've favored my own pride more than the obedience to the Lord. I've gone to this prophet and I said, would you please forgive me when it wasn't his place to forgive me? Uh, I realize now he's, he's laid some really, really heavy things on me. He said, God's going to take the kingdom away from you. Oh, no, no, wait a second. Rip. No, no, just like you ripped my garment, God's torn the kingdom out of your hands. So he comes back and he simply says, okay, I've sinned. Yet would you honor me now? This guy didn't get it. He really didn't understand it. It was still all about the fact that I'm the king. So I want you to pour, put an honor, put some sort of a blessing upon me um, before the elders of, of Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. And, Samuel, and then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. Verse number 32 means that he came cautiously. Isn't it interesting 
uh, that uh, the Agag was more apprehensive about the prophet than he was the king. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. Good, good expression. He said, all the bad days are gone. Let's be friends. All the naughty, the naughty things that we did in the past, they're, 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 let bygones be bygones. They're all finished. Let's go on from this point. Samuel said, as the, thy sword hath made women childish, so shall thy mother be childish among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Who should have done that, folks? Let's say that again. Who should have done that? But Saul disobeyed. How do you know he disobeyed? Because we heard that. We heard all of those things. Saul disobeyed. But Samuel came in and Samuel did the work that Saul should have done. And the Bible says that Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up, up to his house in, in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord, and, and, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. You know, what a chapter. Amazing chapter teaching us about Saul's disobedience and how you respond when you're, when you're confronted by your sin. How you fake the, the whole issue of, of your, your, your heart of repentance and, 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 and uh, uh, try, to, try to gain the back the trust and the honor that you forfeited because you didn't believe and, and do what God says. Because after all, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Well, we could stop there. It's uh, just about five minutes of 11. We could stop there. There's, I think there's enough lessons we can glean from that, but, but I think we ought to pass some on to you. So I want, to, I want to take a look at four life application principles, if I could. I'm going to go back to what God said um, in verse 11 of chapter 15. He said, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. Here's the first life principle. Don't ever make God feel regret. Why did God regret making Saul king of Israel? Because he didn't obey. You know, there, there is an, an A plan for your life and, and, and mine. And, and listen, we know that God's plans are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, most here have made the choice to trust Christ as the Lord and Savior and know what it means to, to uh, have an eternal, eternal uh, um, satisfaction and security because of that personal trust in Jesus Christ. Um, can you think of, of an action or words uh, that, that are a thought perhaps this past week that that was anything but what would have brought honor and glory to God. Let me ask you a question uh, or make a statement. Don't live in such a way that God might have to look at us one day and say, that's the response of my grace? You acted, what you said out of your word was a testimony that you're a believer? The thought that proceeded out of your mind is a testimony that you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ? Now, Saul was just Saul. I mean, he was a tall guy, enhancement to look upon. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was... I mean, he was, as I said, Mr. Israel, no doubt. But upon his shoulders were given all the blessings of being, of being the one to lead this nation for God's glory. And he, and he literally disintegrated all of that by his own selfish pride and, and, and personal desires. But you know that's not so different than the way we react. We've permitted in our own homes. We've permitted in our own families. We've permitted in our own Christian lives. Things that we have said, I can tell you without any reservations, I can look over, over the many years that I've been saved, in, in my adult years in particular, and I know that there are reactions and looks and attitudes and thoughts that God would come back and say, and that's a reaction to my grace in your life? Is that not convicting to you? It is to me. It's terribly convicting. 
I don't want to be identified with Saul, quite frankly. I'd much rather be identified with the next King David, who is a man after God's own heart. You know, I'd much rather be identified with him. We ought always to live in such a way that we have to, fo- we have to focus on pleasing him. Uh, I know we know this, but, but I think we need to hear it again. We aren't who we say we are. We are what we show we are, the way we live. And just because you think that you're living the Christian life, when someone perceives that you are not, it's because we're not getting the message out. We're not sending the right signals. Uh, we're, we've been deceived. Now, the second life application is this. There is no excuse for disobedience. None. No excuse for disobedience. Now, there are four excuses that, that, uh, that Saul gave. Look with me quickly as we see them. Verse 13. Verse 13, he said, uh, um, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So he comes to Samuel and he says, I did what God asked. There's just been a misunderstanding. There's been a misunderstanding of what took place. When was the last time you purposely reviewed what the Bible says about disobedience? Let me read you some. In Matthew 28, verse 20, it's the essence. Obedience is the essence of discipleship. Go and disciple. It's the essence of discipleship. In Luke chapter 6, in, in verse number 46, it's the proof of lordship. In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, it's the key to happiness. In John chapter 14, verses 15, 21, and 23, it is the proof of love. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, obedience is the key to a strong church. Remember when they, when they asked that church, listen, we told you not to speak in that man's name. And Peter turned around and said, listen, are we to obey you or we to obey God? Obedience is the key to a strong church. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, it's central to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, obedience is the key to the test of sincerity. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 7, it's the central issue in keeping on track. Obedience is everything. Well, the, the, the second excuse he gave in verse number 20. Uh, he said, uh, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, but have, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So excuse number two is, I did almost what God said. I mean, I did two of the three things. Doesn't that count for something? Hey, I'm a pretty obedient guy most of the time. I'm pretty obedient, some would say, except, well, when I'm out of town and nobody knows that I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm a pretty obedient guy, except, not with my family, I'm, I'm, I'm a good example of them. Um, I'm a pretty obedient guy, except when, uh, well, when it's during the soccer season. I mean, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here obedient to God at least nine of the twelve months of the year. I think God understands how important soccer is. I'd like to be a fly on a wall when you tell that one to the Lord. Uh, I'm a pretty obedient guy, except when the economy is bad. Have you noticed? It is. It is. I'm, I'm, I'm almost always faithful in giving, but right now things are really tough. It isn't the best of times for God to show, show us He intends to keep His, uh, keep His promises. You know, the, 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 the disobedience says that, that God wants us to learn obedience in every circumstance and not give excuses. I did two of the three things. Here's the third one in verses 21 and 24. I did disobey, but it wasn't my fault. Um, it was the people. The people took the spoil. In verse 24, he says it again, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
What a what a, a, a wimpy thing to do, a wussy thing to do. Just blame blame somebody else. Um, why are you the way you are? It's my parents' fault. They made me the way I am. Did you know that you all have genetic dispositions, predispositions, that can have an effect upon how you behave and how you act? Can I tell you something? You can't blame your parents because we make all the choices to sin. It's all up to us. Um, it was my spouse that caused me to disobey. Guys, we'd love to make that one, wouldn't we? It was her fault, you know. It was Eve. She showed me the fruit. She allowed me to smell it. She put it to my mouth to eat it. It was Eve's fault. You know. It was the circumstances that I was thrown into. I was thrown into a circumstance in which I was just not prepared to give the right answer. I wasn't prepared to do the right thing. And I, I, it was the circumstances that caused me to act that way. Well, what does is, what is, is 1 Peter 3.15 say? He says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be, and, and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's within you with meekness and fear. When? Whenever. You know, God says you can't give that excuse. Here's the fourth excuse in verse 22. Well, maybe it was my behavior. Maybe my behavior was wrong and I accept it is my fault. But listen, my heart was in the right place. Well, disobedience is something to wreck with. The third, the third life application is disobedience destroys relationships. When you go back to, to verses 10, 11, and 12, you realize that, that Samuel prayed all night because he had a relationship with, with Saul. He really, he really cared about Saul. But look at what happens in verse 14. After, after the, the encounter, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Verse 14, what meaneth this then the bleeding of the, uh, bleeding of the, the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the, of the oxen which I hear? Uh, can, you, can you sense the, almost like a sarcasm in, in Samuel's voice? You perform the... Then what is that that I hear? You know, that, uh, and all the rest. Sarcasm. In verse 16, uh, he really became a bit impatient. Samuel, Samuel uh, Saul was talking and how he talked. He said, I, I sacrifice to thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel came and said, stop. I mean, he got to the point where he was impatient. He said, I don't want to hear any more. I mean, having a negative effect upon the relationship. Can I tell you something? That that is going to repeat itself every time we choose to disobey God. It's going to have a negative downside relationship on a, a, a barrier between the relationships that you and I are involved in. We could go on. Verse 17 to 20, we could see that Samuel is angry. And even in verses 34 and 35, he separated himself. And sometimes you and I make choices that are devastating to others. Marriage choices. Thinking that the grass is greener in the other fellow's yard. And the grass is greener. Listen to me, but it's always over the septic tank. And, I, and although that's funny, it's not funny, right? You know, God expects obedience. I thank the Lord. We've had a chance to, to counsel with some couples over the years, and I thank the Lord that we've sat down and, and, and rehearsed the co covenants and commitments that they've made one to the other, to love, honoring, and cherish, to in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to keep themselves only unto themselves as long as they both shall live. That when we've gone back over those, those initial covenants that they've made, their eyes have perked up and say, that's what we need to keep doing. Not broken relationships. 
It's my choice, but following our trail of bodies adversely affected by that choice. I can do what I want, and you can. You have individual soul liberty. You can choose to do what you want. But listen, look back behind after the choice you've made and watch the, 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 the number of bodies that have been thrown to the sides because you've made the wrong choices. Because it, it, it affects relationships. Let me give you the last one. Sometimes um, disobedience is, is, the, uh, is a thing that we can't recover from. Did you hear that? Sometimes the disobedience is something we cannot recover from. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also. Now you not only reap what you sow, but you reap a lot more than you sow. Sometimes, not always. Isn't it great that God's all about restoration? Isn't it great that all of God's all about recovery? Isn't it great the Bible says that God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more? I thought that's such great, great truths. The sad part is that you and I keep on remembering, although we have to try to forget. And we understand that sometimes we're walking in things right now, walking in ways right now, that we wish we weren't, but we're doing that because we have lived in disobedience and maybe we're not able to recover from it because of it. God was not going to give the king back, kingdom back to Saul. He repented me that I've, that I've made him king. He had, he had lived in disobedience. He had made excuses. He had blamed the people. He hadn't taken what God had said seriously by his prophet. And the Bible says that his disobedience was, was something that, he, that as far as... Now, could, could, he, could, he, could Saul one day walk in fellowship with God again? Absolutely. Would God like that? Absolutely. If Saul got on his knees before the Lord and said, Lord, man, I have made some terrible mistakes. I have, I have rebelled against you. I have mismanaged my responsibility. I have led the people in wrong paths. I have not set a good example of righteous living before my people. And I realize that that's had a negative effect upon my spiritual testimony. And God, my heart is broken. And with tears, he seeks God's forgiveness for this sin and that sin. And God, God, is, God is not willing that any should perish. God wants to forgive. And God would have restored a relationship with King Saul. But he wouldn't give the kingdom back to him. Because there are sometimes our disobedience, that aspect of it is not recoverable again. Remember years ago, the, the, the girl on death row in, in, uh, in Texas uh, who was scheduled to be executed, and all of a sudden everybody said, well, she trusted Christ as Savior. She's going to heaven. She's a, she's a Christian now. And, and there, was a big, there was a big uproar about, well, she's a Christian now. She shouldn't be executed. Well, you know, that there's a payment for sin. There, there's disobedience that, that requires the things you can't change. And you know something? The best time, young people, let me say this to you. The best time to figure that out is before you disobey. Moms and dads, the best time to realize that is before you choose to make that wrong choice of not believing what God says in His Word. You lost the kingdom. Well, I think we need to turn to God and never turn from Him. We need to keep obedient to God and His Word, not as an option, but as a, a personal high expectation, and see disobedience as a big deal and deliver, confess, and repent from it. Listen, parents, to your kids, don't downplay disobedience. Make it a big deal. They need to understand that disobedience... Remember, I remember very vividly when the kids were young, I would, I would take them... I told you before, we, I disciplined in our, in our bedroom because I, I didn't care if they didn't like our bedroom anyway. I didn't want them there. So I'd take them in the bedroom, and I'd shut the door, and I'd discipline them in there. And, and uh, they would try, many, as they got older, they would try to talk you out of it. Can we do this instead? Can we do this instead? How about if I do this? I'm really sorry, you know. And I had to say to them, I said, listen, 
Um, if, I don't, if I don't discipline you, then do you understand that God could discipline me? And then all of a sudden it, it came into light. Now, I don't think, I don't ever remember them saying, go to it, Dad, you know. But they understood the importance of, 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 of dealing with the disobedience. As we grow older, let's not, let's not misunderstand that or mismanage that. Because we could, we could be in the same situation as King Saul, every one of us in this room. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, it's really pointed when we begin to see the, the things that had a negative effect upon King Saul. We're going to see in the week ahead that, that not only did he disobey God, but, but he, had a, he had a conflict with other people too. Next week we're going to find out, Lord, his attitude toward David and, and what he tried to do to David. And God, it, it's, it's really, it, breaks, it breaks your heart, I'm, I'm sure, when, when you see even in today's society Christians doing many, many of the similar things. You recognize, our Heavenly Father, what, what, a, what a gracious and merciful God you are. You've bought us with your own precious blood. We didn't deserve it, but you did it. You gave us, gave us a reason to live. You put our feet upon a rock and established our goings. And in our hearts you put a new song that came out of our mouths. And yet, Lord, we look and we compare witchcraft and rebellion, witchcraft disobedience, and, Lord, we say, you know, they're, no, they're not compar- they can't be comparable. And yet, Lord, you say they're exactly the same. And we see it illustrated in the life of King Saul. He made a mistake. Lord, it was Moses who struck a rock and you kept him from going to the promised land. We as humans would say, that was too harsh, God, but you were making a point about obeying your word. God, this morning, would you speak to the hearts of your people? Mine as well. But Lord, we would sense that the blessings of God rise and fall upon our willingness to obey what you say. And Lord, help us not to nitpick and say, well, that wasn't really obedience. It was just, uh, it's just like, it's just like Saul saying, I, I did two of the three things, God. I, I just missed up on one. After all, I'm only human. Lord, you don't understand our humanity better than we do. But Lord, you've set a high standard for us. And, Lord, we need to apply that high standard to our lives. So I ask you, Heavenly Father, that you would just speak to our hearts and remind us about the need not to make excuses or to blame somebody else or blame our circumstances. And certainly never get to the place, Lord, where, where, where we, we cause you any regrets in our spiritual walk. But that, Lord, we love you, we obey you, and we live for you so that this world that's in des- such desperate need can see the reality of Jesus Christ in each of us. Now, Lord, in some cases, it's going to need this morning. It's going to, your, your people need to just turn it over to you and say, God, that chapter in 1 Samuel is all about me, how I look at things. My life is not a picture of spiritual obedience. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit, as only your spirit can do, would speak to hearts. Lord, there are marriages at stake. There are, there are families at stake. There are conditions, Heavenly Father, that in businesses that make it mandatory that Christians understand, Heavenly Father, their role and their walk. Or, Lord, we have to be ready to accept the consequences for disobedience. Lord, our nation is wandering in, in, in apathy to spiritual things. And a lot of it, Lord, is, is because too many Christians have been apathetic about spiritual issues in their own lives. So, Lord, this morning as we sing this song, I Surrender All, I pray that your spirit would, would convict us and speak to us. I pray, Lord, when we get to the end, and, and uh, Lord, we account the lives and hearts of those who have been, have been ministered to by your spirit this morning. But Lord, many will say, you know, I've got, some, I've got some corrections to make. I've got some things I need to straighten out in my life while I have a chance to recover. 
God, help us not to make excuses, I pray. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.